we just love our treasurers and I think that's it working your niche you know work in your niche as they call it and things like that just keep on giving back I think that's one of the key things Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and today we're joined by Mike Richards. Mike is the founder and CEO of the Treasury Recruitment Company. Established in 2002, the Treasury Recruitment Company is the only truly global treasury recruitment firm. They recruit at all levels from corporate treasury to treasury analyst, uh, analyst to treasury director for multinationals, consultancies, and a range of financial institutions. In addition, Mike hosts his own popular podcast, Treasury Career Corner, where he interviews treasury professionals about their careers. Their website's treasuryrecruitment.com. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I just said before the show, Mark, this is quite weird. This is the only real podcast that I listen to and I really listen to every week. So I do. I swim every week and I've got you in my earbuds. And I was here, I said to you the other day, I had your pinnacle one recently and I'm like going, and then he said, do you want to be in my podcast? I'm like, really? Me? Alongside those guys? Yeah, fine. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, but, well, yeah. Mike, I've actually been following you for about five years, I think. And the reason... No, we... About the court order. Can you just <laughs> stop it, please? Well, no, honestly, the reason that I wanted you to come on the show is that you're doing such a fantastic job with digital marketing and everything from your podcast, the video content you're putting out there, the live events you're running. And you're doing a lot of the things that we teach our coaching clients in our program. So... I'm looking forward to geeking out with you about marketing strategies and and that kind of stuff. Um, so this can be great. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I'll just give you a quick pricey for the, well, you've given a bit of an intro to us. So I've been a treasury recruiter for 25 plus years. Originally started with uh, Robert Walters, joined a search firm. And then they said, look, Mike, we'd like you to do other areas like sales and other things. So I actually, I love treasury. Uh, for any listeners that are wondering, Treasury, they're like, T what? Yeah, I'm like, okay. So there are three streams that report into a CFO. You've got your financial controller, today's money and backwards, tax, trying to save all your tax, pay less for it, and then treasurers. And they're the interesting guys. That's why I've become friends with them, and that's why I've done it for 20 years. Uh, they look after today's money and the future. So if you want to go buy another company, cash management, foreign exchange, basically all the interesting stuff about accountancy if you like a money because years ago they said oh we want you to do finance recruitment I was like mm, really accountants and they I was doing teaching recruitment at the time they said it's twice as much money I went great where's my desk <laughs> well I'd like to just rewind a little bit even before that Mike how did you get into recruitment uh by accident really I did a teaching degree and I started to be a you would call it a substitute teacher in Canada in the US a supply teacher uh, so I used to do supply teaching recruitment for a company that was called Capstone, got bought by Capita. And as they did that, I, that was, again, when someone had said that you should do financial recruitment. I was like, mm, okay. And they said, yeah, we do treasury. I said, what's treasury? So we don't know. Here's a big list of people. And I went, okay. And I started to meet these treasurers and they usually were the first to the bar and often the last to leave it. I thought I found my people. <laughs> Hilarious. That's fantastic. So wait, you were a teacher and then you started recruiting teachers. That's how you kind of got into recruiting initially? Yeah, I, literally, so I've been a teacher before my degree, did my degree to professionalize myself so I could do that, and then fell into supply teaching. And then they said, oh, you'd be a recruiter here. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Did really well there. And then was at the top of the company, if you like, you know, couldn't get any more progression. And they said, 
friend of my rec to rec recruiter at the time, back in the day, goodness, um, said you should do financial recruitment. And I got introduced at the time and I joined Robert Walters. So back in the 90s, a long yeah, time. Yeah, no, that's hilarious. And so what is it? You, you said, you know, treasury is the more interesting part of accounting. And, um, you know, but that was a long time ago. That was 2002. So, like, can you tell a little bit of a story of your journey from 2002 to the present day? What have been, like, the highs and lows? Wow, so many. <laughs> okay, we only got an hour, right? Um, and again, just before, there's no offense to accountants, by the way. You do a brilliant job, guys. I just happen to find Treasury much more interesting. Okay, so there you go. So that's my disclaimer. Um, so, yeah, 2002, desk phone office started in an office in Waterloo, uh, moved a few offices still around there in London and grew and grew the firm. So we started to do more expansion towards the Middle East and Far East at the time. In the early days, grew the team. We got as far at the time of about 10 staff. Uh, then one of the global financial crises hit us. Subprime came along as well, uh, just as we were starting to expand into America. So literally, uh, what was it, 2008, I booked into a big conference. We're on the plane. I went with the team. We walk into this conference hall, and it was it was tumbleweed. <laughs> we're like, oh, my God, Hi. what are we going to do? Okay, so we pulled back from expanding in America uh, at the time. This is a pricey of it, but... Yeah, and I just, uh, we re-entered re the US market in 2012, so 11 years ago, and we re-established ourselves there. So I focus a lot more of my time in the US. Uh, it's not new to us, if you like, so I studied at Northwestern, just outside on the outskirts of Chicago. Um, really enjoyed it out there, just love Americans, um, and Can Canadians as well, sorry, I get that. And then my colleague, Cray, he focuses more on the UK. And then Katie, my colleague, she focuses Europe. So we've got a global offering and we've also got researchers and team behind that as well. But our focus is, as you said at the beginning of the show, we do global treasury recruitment. Fantastic. Our niche is, it's a, an inch wide, a mile deep. I love it. So Excellent. So uh, I know you've been through multiple economic cycles as, as I have, and, and you've been through those recessions as well as then the, the pandemic. What, um, what were some of the lessons you learned in terms of like, and you're still here. I think that's what we, like, we can both celebrate that we've been through because I started my company in 2001. So similar time frame to you and, uh, we've had our ups and downs, What like, and that's partly why I called the show The Resilient Recruiter, right? Is because I think, and that's not about me, that's like our listeners, like recruiters have to be resilient. And, you know, on a, in terms of having a, that as a personal characteristic, but then we also need to build resilient businesses that are, you know, are able to um, survive and be sustainable uh, in the long term. So what have you learned about building a resilient you know, recruitment business through your 20 plus years in the business? I think I've been asked a couple of times this and uh, different people in different businesses outside of recruitment. And they've said, oh, you've been going for this many years. And they said, what was your tip? You know, people say, what's an entrepreneurial tip? And I said to people, look after the cash. You know, you start to get the money coming in, you make a few placements, you're recruiting, thinking, oh, we can do some marketing, do some conferences. And you guys had actually prompted me. We had an interview checklist, you guys said. And it, so it makes you reflect a little bit. And it's like, okay, so where would I have made mistakes? Where have I got it wrong? And that's by spending the money. 
you know, spend it. Yeah, great. Let's expand. Okay, let's do this. Let's go to America back in 08. You know, was that, we thought, yeah, America's going to take off. And we didn't really look at the economics. And it was like, yeah, it crashed and burned. And they were like, oh, goodness. You know, so basically, I think, you know, that's the first tip. Look after your money. The second one was, yeah, look after your money. You know, look at, yeah, after the, you know, the outgoings and then make sure the incomings, you know, the, make sure you've got the guys billing, you know, make sure, you know, you're not like there with a big stick. Come on, guys, come on, come on. And then the third one was always look at one and two. You know, it's it's the lifeblood of your business. It's a bit boring. I'm sorry for the listeners out there, but I've heard it on a couple of your other, you know, podcasts where people have, and whenever they've done, I've gone, oh, yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah, that's really 100%. good. hundred percent. I think that, oh. you know, running in the business. I, uh I wish that I'd figured that out sooner. It would have saved a lot of pain. And actually, we did a, a, a course for our uh, clients towards the end of last year about recession-proofing your, your recruitment business. And that was one of the key chapters was, you know, cash reserves. And you can have, you know, a, a lot of companies go under not because even like even profitable companies can go under if you run out of cash, right? And you can have a, a good business and, you know, and, and run out of cash and then it's game over. So what controls or rules have you put in place, Mike, so that when you're doing well, you don't, um, you know, you don't put the, the business at risk by overspending? I think it's... We don't do it perfectly. I've got to say this, you know, put the hands up. We, you know, we're doing a lot of expansion in the US at the moment, doing a load of events and we're doing all this, but it's about making sure. And I can't remember, I think I've heard it on one of yours where a lot of businesses go bust, but then the cash flow, they, they're owed huge amounts on the debtors. You know, we run our debtors really closely and things. You know, sometimes I look at it and, we're, you know, it's quite an empty bank account. And then, but you actually look at your debtors and go, Okay, we're owed six figures. Crumbs, where's this? And it's like, come on, guys, pay us, please. You know, the guy's sitting at the desk, please pay us. And um, I think that's one of the key things. Um, and again, what was it where you pay yourself first, Michael McCallowitz, and the d yeah. different pots? And I, I can't say we do that properly yet. We actually um, do that, Mike. Um, actually, and and so it's funny you mentioned that. So the two things: number one, uh, you know, reducing debtor days. That is huge. I don't understand why more recruiting firm owners don't really pay attention to that. They just kind of accept, oh yeah, you know, it's technically 30 days, but we have people who, you know, 60, 90. I'm like, why? And it's it's because they're scared of, you know, if they chase the, uh, the, the outstanding voice is too hard that they might lose the customer. But to me, a customer that takes you 90 days to pay isn't a good, isn't a good customer anyway. So, you know, that... Um, I think that's one. So we'll talk about profit first in a second, but what's your, um, settlement period and the, how do you make sure you get paid without, you know, ruffling too many feathers? I think conversation is the first one and having that relationship, the difference for us, again, we, you know, I'd had our pre podcast call and, you know, when I've worked for other firms where they've had a number of large clients, you know, so you know, you might go to the banking desk and they say, oh, these are my top clients and might be some of the big names, you know, the Morgan Stanley, the Merrills, and oh, that we deal with these. And I said this to you, that we deal with 100, you know, they might have five big clients and we would have 105. 
So, you know, the treasurers that I'm recruiting for, or the CFOs, you have that conversation all the way through. It's not like you're distant to the business. A CFO will brief you on the treasurer position. You'll take the job brief. You then fill the brief. And as you're going through, you know, and we have a mixture of work. We're not just retained. My colleague Craig, he does a you know big mix in the UK. We're right the way through. It's sort of probably a probably about a 50-50 mix at the moment. US is the same. Katie in Europe, they tend to do more of a contained search approach. And so that we want to recruit for you. And sometimes, you know, we do it contingent in Europe as well. When we know some of the countries that we've got a really good uh sort of a candidate flow, if you like, and we do a lot of work for, say, in, in Germany, we do a lot of work for Porsche, you know, in different countries, in the Netherlands, and we cover right the way across because Treasury is agnostic about where it is. So Treasury is global and everything else. Um, yeah, but sorry, go on. No, it was just, uh, so uh, you've prompted a few follow-up questions, but let's just um, close out the one about uh, about cash. So, <clears throat> So you're just, you're tight with cash flow, uh, making sure that I don't mean tight in a you know pejorative sense. I mean you're 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 on top of it, right? You're you're paying attention to it. I think that's uh, that's absolutely key. Uh, building up those cash reserves rather than as soon as you're like making making a bunch more profit, then increasing your overheads to to match, right? Uh, is is the risk? I think there's that, but I think there's also. You know, good example was my colleague was chasing up an invoice. The guy had started and was sitting there at the desk. And he was like sort of emailing to HR and he was emailing to this. He was doing this. I went, right, have, have you phoned them? No, no. I said, well, just pick up the phone and ask for more information. He picked up the phone and it turned out the lady wasn't replying because she was away on holiday. And for some reason or out of office wasn't set. And eventually we got to a stage. I said, look, just give me five minutes. I called the treasurer. Well, you can call him. Yes, I can, because I placed him. And actually we're friends. And you know, I've got his personal mobile. And he like he apologized. He went, Are you chasing me about the invoice? I went, Yes. He said, <laughs> I'll sort it overnight. Because it's about pe it's a people business. 100%. We seem to We hide behind email you and you know, I've had the exact same experience. Like we're chasing someone, sending umpteen emails, they're not responding, and I just send him a text, can we talk? Sure. Called him right away. He was apologetic and embarrassed that it hadn't been paid and like paid almost right away. Um, so I know that sounds obvious, but it's, you know, it, sometimes uh, sometimes the obvious gets overlooked. Um, and uh, do you have policies, though, to encourage prompt payments such as, you know, the guarantee only applies if you've paid within the settlement period or things like that? We don't really. Um, we we got asked recently about a longer guarantee period for one of our candidates. And, you know, my colleague, Katie, was like, oh, are you okay with this? I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. I said, the fact is, do we expect this person to stay there for a year? And I was like, yeah, of course we do. I was like, okay, well then, happy to do that. You know, we we might ask for something in return. They might say, oh, we want a, you know, we want a full guarantee, re money back guarantee, what, for a year? Really, you know, see, you know, we might say we want more of a sliding scale, but again, it's then engaging with the client. Why are they asking for this? It, you know, sometimes larger corporates, they that's their standard policy. We'll just ask why, and just and explore that. You know, fair and enough. Again, we're not a bit sort of thing. So the reason I brought it up is my one of my mentors is a guy called Romney Raw, is R A 
W.E.S., who's like, um, he's he's retired now, but he was uh, a huge figure in the UK recruitment industry. So I learned a lot about, you know, uh, cash flow, you know, settlement, you know, debtor days and guarantee periods to, from him. Uh, he was a board director at Reed PLC, and then he started up select appointments and they got to like 4 million in, no, 3 million in profit within their first four years. And then uh, he's been involved in lots of mergers and acquisitions and flotations, trade sales, stuff like that. So I learned a huge amount from him. And one of his things was, was getting debtor days down and he would link it to the guarantee. So he said, so they had a, uh, an excellent, like a industry leading guarantee, but it only applied if you'd actually paid on time. And they would use that as a lever and they would remind the customer, they wouldn't wait till the invoice was past due. They would preempt that and say like a week out and say, just a gentle reminder that this invoice is payable in seven days. And we're reminding you because we wouldn't want you to lose out on the extended guarantee period, right? And it was just, so he's getting ahead of it. He's not waiting till they're late. He's he's like, and then on the day he's following up and then, you know, very, very uh, tight on the follow-up, but it was linked to the guarantee. The other thing is if they did offer any kind of price concession, that also was conditional upon them paying on time. So if they, you know, let's say the fee is whatever, 30% and the client wants 20% or whatever, and you, you agree to it, then it's only 20% if you, if you actually pay us on time. And it was almost valuing the cash flow is almost as important as the size of the fee, right? Because, well, for the reasons we said earlier. Um, so uh, kudos to Romney Raws. Um, Profit First, great book. How much of that have you implemented? Not enough. Okay. <laughs> I don't think, because I think as uh, recruiters, you know, we, you know, as I said, you know, earlier that uh, it's, what's the word? You're always chasing yourself. You know, the development and we're growing. And, you know, I was with a friend just yesterday. So, oh, you know, how, how's it going? I said, well, it's not always a struggle. That's the wrong way. But it's, you're wanting to expand. You're wanting to go to new territories. You know, I'm doing a lot more in the US next year. And actually, again, when we talked about it, as a business in the UK, we're a very mature business. You know, not just age-wise, but the fact is, you know, if you go to someone, oh, the treasury recruitment company, we know you guys yet. Yeah, we've used you or we've seen you at an event and everything else. In Europe, we've been to a number of events. We've interacted with lots of clients. They know us well over there, and that's good, but we're sort of a more teenage business. In the US, despite having operated there for 10 years, we're still a child. You know, people are still going, the treasury what? You just do treasurers, right? Oh, okay. I've spoken at the national conference three times. A lot of treasury folks know us, but so many don't because it's so vast. It's, it's great fun. Um, and we've got Joe Grabowski, my colleague over there, and he's leading the charge and doing really well. And he's been in Treasury, but he will pick up the phone and someone will still go, who are you? Even though they're connected to him on LinkedIn. Awesome. It's still a sort of, yeah. So let, let's dive into that because I think marketing is more interesting to talk about than uh, cash flow management, right? So um, you're in a situation with Treasury where, uh, and I think there'll be a, a, a large proportion of our listeners who can relate to this. When you specialize in one function, there's a limited number of placements you can make at any particular company. And especially in a role like treasury, there's not a huge turnover of these people, right? And so that's why you explained earlier, some of your colleagues who in other areas of finance 
could rely on maybe only having a handful of clients, like you can count them on one hand, and you had like a hundred clients in your, you know, in your in your client base that you needed, you needed that spread of clients because your volume with one customer wasn't wasn't very much, which I think is if has forced you to get really good at marketing. So. Tell me, like you do some really clever things in, in terms of marketing. So one of which I want to ask you about is your global treasury salary survey. Uh, how long have you been doing that and, and how did that uh, come about? I started it when I started the company, uh, you know, back on, um, yeah, I remember sitting in the office in Waterloo in 2003. Yeah, I know before some of the listeners were born. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, basically, I then gathered together you know, salaries from a lot of the guys in the UK. And I was thinking, one day we'll systematize this. One day, one day. And there was always my dream. Um, it was born out of frustration. Uh, I mean, I think you can probably work it out from my past history. One of my previous employers say, we do a salary survey. Great. I was like, this is great. Is it going to be in-depth research? No, tell me how much your most junior treasury analyst is on. Like, well, it's on, this person's on 30,000. You know, well, yeah, make it around 32,000. Okay. And how much the most senior one? 65. I was like, right. Okay, that's your range. I was like, no, those are just two people I know. That's no data. That's just a finger in the air. And so it got me very, you know, I've got rid of the frustration now because our survey is so good. Um, and so over time, we've developed it and developed it, and now it's systematized. So, yeah, we track people's salaries through Tracker. And in actual fact, we've created it so that anyone goes to treasurysalary.com. I don't know if any treasurers will be listening to this podcast, but we love you too and go to there. Um, but then when you put the data in, it's live, it's real. And what we do is it, we keep on updating people's salaries. So within every six months, you know that the information is always kept up to date. It's a reason for us to call a candidate, reason for us to call a client. We notice you took part in our salary survey. We notice your information is seven months out of date. We'll send you a link. Can you update yourself? And you'll continue to be part of the salary survey. We now run it every six months because we know that, you know, it just constantly runs. And people say, well, hang on, you know, because if you do it once a year, what's the point? You know, if you do it every six months, oh, hang on, it's a living, breathing document. And it's only ever six months, you know, out of date per se, because people's salaries, you know, get reviewed maybe every six months. Yeah, maybe every year, but you've always got that snapshot as you go along. And we've got over a thousand people do it now. It's hard work, but we've systematized that a lot of it using the custom forms that Tracker gives you. And it, I've got to say that really has helped. Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now, but have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service. It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from iIntro. 
Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Amazing. I, I love this. And, and the fact that you've it's evolved so that it's it's like live, it's a live uh, data set, it's not outdated, and you're constantly keeping it refreshed with a with a large uh, pool of um, of of candidates who are submitting that information in real time. So that's awesome. And the fact that it links to your database as well is powerful. I don't know anyone else is doing that. That's 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 fantastic, Mike. We actually teach a course on how to set up and, and run a salary survey and, and market it. But I'm curious, how do you use it for marketing purposes? Well, just before that, the thing I was yeah. going to say, and this is what people need to do, is that you give a confidential link to that person. You make sure it only goes to them. And when they click on that, this because actually it's about taking away the points of friction, isn't it? It's like, oh God, do I have to do the survey again? Oh yeah, and it takes all of two minutes if you start start to finish. But in actual fact, to retake part in it is less than thirty seconds. That's what we took away. I said, look, it needs to be less than thirty seconds. So it arrives on it. You click on the customized link. You open it. It shows you your previous data set. You go, oh, hang on, no, I have had a pay rise. Actually, that's changed my bonus. Click, click less than 30 seconds they're back and they're live again that was what makes it so special and geeking out with this that's um, awesome that, that i don't know anyone else doing that that's really cool you guys can do it and this is it, it is hard work and we've done this and we work with the guys at tracker and it works now and then what we've done is automated the follow-up process as well so if, for instance we're recording this beginning of february we're actually going back to the january people that did it last, in fact, not the January, sorry, the, the July, June people last year. And we're saying, you did the salary survey in June. You're now six months old, seven months out of date. Just check your data and update it. We get that for a month. Over the next two or three weeks, we get a couple of emails. If by the end of Feb, we say, look, we're either retiring you or we get on the phone. I say, Bob, you did your, your salary survey then. We'd love you to be part of it. Oh, yeah, God, I need to do that. Yeah, because otherwise we need to remove you. And actually, it's a. Oh, and how are you doing? How's your job search? Are you? Oh, you're recruiting. Oh, it'd be great to chat. And also, you've got a reason to call them. And then, this reason, as exactly as you say there, you've got a piece of valuable data to give them. These salary surveys, we split it into the US, the UK, Europe. It then produces all sorts of other information, blogs, uh, anything and everything. It's you become. We sometimes talk about it on the podcast. We talk about it at conferences, uh, you know, it can be a bit dry sometimes. You go, well, these salary survey for treasure analysts is this. But in fact, what you do is you can just compare between different territories. We've seen the US, you know, inflation busting rises for people over there. It's keeping pace with inflation in the UK, in Europe. Yeah, it, it depends on the countries. To be honest, there's a, you know, we see a drift more Eastern Europe, some of the treasurers moving out there. So, it, but again, it gives you, if I come back to a, you know, uh, a practical example, in the UK, we recently had a client said, we'd like to recruit a treasury analyst. We'd like to pay them 45 or whatever it was. And we said, okay, so what you want to pay below average then? What, what do you mean below average? It <laughs> says we have 80 treasury analysts <clears throat> and the range is this, and you're already starting out by the starting salary you want to pay like 5,000 below the average or whatever it was. And they were like, oh, Okay, well, what what makes you think this? Well, the other eighty treasury analysts we just surveyed in the UK, 
Oh, right. And it, the power, the data makes you powerful. Again, it's sorry to geek out. Yeah, no, that's huge. Like it does confer authority on you. So not only is it a marketing thing, but also it's true. In, is it real insight and, and uh, you know, market intelligence that you can bring to your clients that nobody else is is offering that makes you the makes you the authority. So I love that it it does. You know, a lot of recruiters will say, you know, oh, your salary is um, below market, right? Below market rate. But the client isn't necessarily going to believe the recruiter because we stand to gain if they have a higher salary, right? But you're pointing to actual data and it's a lot more credible and they're just going to, I mean, how can you argue with that? That's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, it's just quite freeing as well as a recruiter because you know, we were recently working with a client and they were like, well, where do you think the salary should be? And I said, well, I don't think this, I know this, and this is the data. And they're like, oh, well, we were thinking of paying this. So I was like, okay, we can, but you won't get anyone. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's easy. It's like, well, and, and actually then you also get to the stage of going, well, I'm afraid we can't help you. They're like, what? I said, why would we start out on a back foot? You know, we want, and, and we say to clients, no, we want these people come to you, kicking down the door, wanting to work with you. So you need to pay market rates. And this is the market rate for that, that opportunity. Excellent. I love that. So you've got the salary survey, global treasury salary survey, which is uh, up and running. And you've, re it sounds like you've really refined and mastered that over, over time. Um, how long have you been going with your podcast and what inspired you to launch that? Going for five and a half years, originally had the idea when podcasts were a brand new thing, you know, so when iPhones developing, I thought about doing a podcast funny enough about recruitment. Luckily I didn't because, you know, say step out of your, you know, way. Um, but I thought crumbs, you know, if I did that, I would talk about maybe my experiences of it and I could see it maybe having a life of five or 10 episodes. And then I was like, yeah, I don't want to talk recruitment all day. I do that all day anyway. Why would I do that on a podcast? And so... I was there with uh, my, at the time, mentor, Chris Ducker from Upreneur, great guy. Yep, I know And Chris. we were talking about, yeah, he's great. And um, and I was there in the mastermind and we were brainstorming ideas. And, and I'd already had this idea, but it sort of developed a little bit. I was going to talk to some treasury folks about some of this. And I said, hang on, I talk to treasurers each and every day about their lives. I interview them. That's what I do. wonder if I could just record this. And so I did. We started it pre-COVID five and a half years ago. I thought, well, we'd maybe try 10 episodes, see how we do. We're now at 310 episodes. Wow. Uh, Good for you, Mike. I'm I'm cheering for you here. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Like we, we have, we've helped a, a, probably a dozen recruiting firm owners to launch podcasts over the last, you know, 12 months probably. And, uh, but what I can see with a lot of podcast episodes, you can see that they they launch and then they fizzle out, right? And yes. uh, you've had, is that consistency over time that really makes an impact and you start getting that exponential growth. So that's phenomenal. What do you think have been the keys to the success of your Treasury Career Corner podcast? The guests. It's yes. their show. It's not mine. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like I've heard with the resilient recruiter. The reason I listen is because you're genuinely interested in your guests. You actually talk to them, you talk to other recruiters, and then 
you say, what have been your pain points? Not just, oh, what have been your successes? Yeah, but when when were you crying in the corner? You know, when were you just like, what? You know, tell us about that now. You know, we don't do that, you know, the hard word on a lot of treasurers because that would be quite bad. Um, but basically, it's it, I, from day one, I tried to get out of their way. And we've got some really nice comments over time that, you know, I've become a, I've got to say, I thought I was a good recruit, treasure recruiter before. You know, I was pretty good. I knew I did. Now, five years later, I'm a really great treasury recruiter. Why? Because of my clients, because of the 310 stories I've shared so far. Someone actually asked me the other day, I can't believe you've done 300. Well, you've run out of people. I was like, no, there are thousands of <laughs> right. people in the UK. Like, And we talk to a treasurer. We tend to end for the most senior person, but... The first ever show I did with Sarah Jane from the global treasurer, GlaxoSmithKline. But right the way across, you know, I've done Dow Chemical, uh, Gary from Dow Chemicals. I've had global treasurers on the show and they share their their stories, you know, from when they first began. I've got the uh, one of the upcoming shows, great guy, um, GW, the uh, treasurer for Axo Noble, the chemicals company. I asked him just in our pre-podcast call, like we had the other day, I said, oh, tell me about your career and how have you planned it? Because you're now the global treasurer. I've never planned my career, Mike. I mean, it's going to be a brilliant show. He went, no, I just went where things were enjoyable. If I enjoyed this, I'd keep on doing it. If I didn't enjoy this, I'd move away from it. And I'm like, he said, oh, your your listeners probably don't want to hear this. I went, that's incredible. Just that you can become the global treasurer of a global you know, multinational by just going where you, it, with the stuff you enjoyed. I'm like, yeah, I'm looking, I can't wait to do it. We've got a schedule coming up and I'm like, this is amazing. So the, the, the podcast opens so many doors. It's, it's truly a blessing and it's, it's incredible. The, the goodwill it generates within your target audience and, and the access it, it gives you, uh, I agree 100%. Getting quality people on the show is absolutely key. Like the quality of your guests is going to, is it's what's going to hook people. And then of course you have to just be really curious and, and ask loads of questions and, and let them, you know, let them share their, their knowledge and wisdom. So, uh, amazing. Now, could you talk a little bit about how the podcast has sort of spun off into so many other opportunities for you, Mike? Well, yeah. And I actually heard on one of your recent shows, you had a, a guy that was talking about live training and how he did a podcast and then it became a live training event and they were doing lots of that in the sort of the tech industry and things. And I was, we heard that and I was like, oh, wow, but we've already, well, we've already done that, but in a different way. So basically what happened originally pre-COVID, we did a panel session. I thought this could be quite good. And we, we were trying to record it for the podcast. The audio was terrible. The visual was terrible. Taught me lots of lessons. We couldn't reuse it. I was like, right going to do this again we're going to do it much better we now uh host treasury career corner live we've done we did a couple of uk events so the first one had 100 people say yes 85 showed up and it was like wow wow no that's not wow wow last november a wet night in november we had 150 say yes 128 still showed up on the night 128 treasurers that is on a panel a really high just to comment on that because when you the danger of making something free is that it's easier for people to go, nah, I don't, f- I don't feel like going tonight. So they just like, uh, you know, they drop off, they drop out. So typically in a free event, you're expecting about 
of people to show up, right? And you're getting like 90% of people to show up. What? I don't want to take you off track, but I just wanted to comment on that. So tell, please to, to continue with the story. What what happened next? Well, part of that, I, knew, I thought you were actually going to go, the way I was going to go is, you know, people said, well, why do they, obviously it's my uh, romantic good looks. That's why they came <laughs> along to see me. No, it was incredible guests. Yeah. So I had to parley chalk treasurer of Moody's. I had Winnie Lee, treasurer of PPD Pharmaceuticals. I had uh, Matt from Chubb Insurance, and they all came along, and they were really giving as a panel. And we did it, you know, 6 for 6.30. They talked about their experiences for an hour, and then we did networking drinks, and everyone stayed because everyone wanted to be back in face-to-face. Everyone had COVID, went through it, didn't see each other for a year, and were locked in, you know, locked in their sheds and, you know, their home offices. The fact was there is a need for face-to-face. People want to see each other, and that's what's actually happening. We There was so much interaction. And so we did that in London. That's, you know, then I was with a friend in his New York office having the worst coffee in the history of the world. I don't know why he couldn't make good coffee, but it was with cream. That's really bad. I'm sitting there, Times Square, and I just said, do you know what? I should do it here. And I just meant do it in America. And he said, well, yeah, come along. I said, what? He showed me his uh, law firm in Times Square. And he said, yeah, this is our conference room. You can do it here if you want. 65, 70 people in the room. We're doing that in March. I've got two events. So we're getting 65 treasurers in a room one night, 65 the next night, one night with the treasurer of NASDAQ, one with the treasurer of Louis Vuitton on another night with some other panelists, amazing guys, and talking about their treasury careers. And people want to be there. We're... We only launched it a week and a half ago. We're already 60% full or sold wow. out, booked or whatever. Um, and then and then it's we're going to take it across the US and we're doing it across Europe. We're doing it in Athens. We're doing it right the way across. And people have sort of said, oh, but, you know, recruitment, that, well, actually, this is, I'm in front of my prospects. I'm engaging with my clients and engaging with my candidates because that's the other thing with Treasury. You go and meet a Treasury manager, then you say, oh, I, here's my CV, resume. Oh, they say, oh, actually, I'm recruiting, Mike. Can you help us? It's like, yeah, we'd love to. So that's the nice thing about my industry, that a client is a candidate is a client. Yes, so. absolutely. This is phenomenal, Mike. You've got this whole roadshow going on here. And, you know, you mentioned face-to-face. I grew up, and I'm sure you did too, in recruiting where, you know, you always went to see your customer. You do a client visit, right? And... um and and the, our, we actually had a target. We were targeted for two client visits per week. So you had to do eight a month. And I my goal was always three. So I wanted to see 12 clients a month. But when you're doing an event like that, you're doing 65 client visits in one day, right? You're getting FaceTime with all of those people at once. And it really accelerates the relationship versus just on a phone or, or what have you. So that's phenomenal. And um, what I'd love about this is that because some people listen were going wow you've got the you know treasurer from louis vuitton the treasurer from nasdaq what you know i wouldn't be able to have access to that type of speaker which okay maybe that's a limiting belief maybe there's some truth to that but it's the combination of all the things you're doing that give you that uh credibility and that access to those top people and then it just is a virtuous cycle, right? The podcast gives you access to top people, which then means that 
you know, you can invite them to be a panelist when you do this event. And, you know, it's just snowballing. I'm, I'm really uh, impressed with what you've put together here, Mike. Um, anything else about, oh, sorry, you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say, and just going back to something you said earlier about it being free and free events and things like that. And, and it's not, not all charitable giving back because the fact is we want to be in that room with those clients, with those candidates. Now, one of the things that we do do is we limit the audience to corporate treasury practitioners or corporate treasury professionals, as we call it in the UK. And people said, oh, no, I'd like to come along. I'm from a bank, a sales, but you know, they go to so many conferences and they get sold, sold, sold to that we're very careful about the audience. And actually, we've done it with the audience in mind. And actually, the nice thing was, we were getting the comments back last November, people coming up saying, well, you don't know why some of the associations don't do this. We don't know why. And I said, do you know what? I don't care. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, we're providing this. You uh, are all here, and it shows that you want this, and we're giving you this forum. And I think as a recruiter, there is a temptation, right? How much money can I make out of this? How can I do this? And, you know, because that's the way we should be as recruiters. But the fact is, by providing this, you actually, you know, you serve your community. Um, and the the nice payback is, as you say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do 130 client visits in two nights in, in you know, in, in Times Square. Amazing. And then in the same in London, you know, we met 120 candidates, clients, you know, they were a mixture of audience. We're aiming to make it 150 and we're doing two events in the UK. Perhaps there's three events now. It's just like, again, people are saying, could you put on another event, please? Uh, yeah, yeah, we could do this. But again, it's sharing people's stories, it, getting the panel together. Um, I've got Dan Ferguson from uh, Resolution Life. I've got uh, Diane Wilson, who's uh, with TI. They're my panelists. And I've got another one. It's going to be a big guest, actually. We're just trying to make sure the schedule works. One of the top, foot, you know, FTSE 100, in fact, probably FTSE 20 treasurers, going to be live on stage. And these guys want to hear their career stories. They want to hear me. You know, I'd, I'd love to talk to them more, but I'll do that in the drinks afterwards. But if you're showing these guys and giving them, so I'll have a treasury analyst in the, the audience thinking, right, what steps did they make in their careers? Okay, that's what I'll copy right the way through to a treasurer who wants to hear some of the challenges, these treasures, some of the war stories. How have they got through the, you know, COVID? How have they got through this, you know, inflation crisis? How, so you can share those. Everyone's getting value and then they get to mingle with them and we provide the forum. And it's, if you do would do that with that in mind, and again, this, this chap that you had a while ago, he was doing that much more to get the community and work yeah. on that, that, you know, definitely worked. That was uh, Kyle Winterbottom was the, uh, was the guest. Uh, really interesting. And, and basically, yeah, they're building community and, in order to generate 100% inbound leads and it's all retained revenue as well because you already have the relationship and the credibility. Um, so Mike, the, coming full circle here, talking about cash, the, I think a lot of listeners will go, well, that sounds amazing, but oh my goodness, that would be so expensive to put on that kind of size event, drinks, you know, you've got the venue, you've got the, like if you're offering any nibbles and, and, and drinks, you know, that's going to burn through a huge amount of cash and yeah, you'll, you'll make it back in placements from people you meet at the event. But in terms of cash flow, you're putting out the money before it comes back to you. How have you managed that uh, cash flow issue? Initially it was 
uh, a, a listener thing called the company credit card. Um, and me going, crumbs, here we go. This is going to be a bit pricey. Uh, what I would say venue-wise, there are people out there that probably want to share your audience with you. So we host it with Herbert Smith, the law firm. They are very giving, you know, we are allowed to use their premises. We They come along, they get to meet treasurers. It's a fantastic networking event for them. And they, in exchange for that, they provide us the venue. Fantastic. Okay, pay for the drinks. Well, again, as I say, company credit card to begin with. Then it was actually, we said, we went to one of the banks, we went to State Street, and they said, oh, we'll sponsor, you know, because we want to be in the room with those guys. And we stopped other, you know, we said, look, well, you'll be the exclusive sponsors. We also have Kyriba as the tech sponsor now, and they contribute to those costs. And actually, that's the same for the US. They're now saying, we want to sponsor you. On the backside of that, I got, you know, become much uh, closer with the team at Kyriba. They said, oh, would you like to come and speak at our global live conference? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I looked looked on the website. Last year was Paris. I thought maybe it's in uh, maybe it's in Netherlands or something. That could be quite nice. Oh no, it's in Vegas. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could be in a room with 700 treasurers and speak at your conference. And I'm going to do Treasury Career Corner live. I'm going to interview three treasurers live on stage, but they are actually customers of Kariba, and I'm going to interview them about their treasury careers. That's what I do, and I just love doing it. And then you, you as a brand expert, and that's it. That is amazing, Mike, how you've you've made the events. Uh, I don't know if they're cost neutral, but you've you've managed the cost of running these events so that essentially you've got free marketing, uh, like a machine that generate that does marketing for you on a huge global scale, puts you directly in front of your ideal clients and candidates. And uh, with without a huge cost implication, I think that is probably one of the cleverest things I've heard on the show, Mike. Um, hats off to you. Amazing. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, also, when, when I've spoken to the sponsors, you know, they when we came up with some of the pricing, they were like, well, what price is you going to charge us? And it wasn't like, you know, we've been to other conferences where there are very, very pricey. You know, we go some international conferences and you stand at a two by three meter space and it's a five figure sum and i'm like wow and and there's no guarantee you know people are going past the booth and you're like there this is all interactive you're actually there helping your community and yet we weren't charging that much and we didn't do it for the cash but the great thing is by getting their sponsorship also they want to share it with their clients who then become your clients who become your candidates and it's this lovely triangle you just sit at the middle of got our recruitment business, got tech business. We all want to talk to the same people. Also, when we're doing the sessions, for instance, in New York, the sponsors won't actually be in the session um, because we don't have the room. We want to get practitioners in the room and then they can network with them afterwards. But we want to give them. And I said, look, you could be in the room and rob us of four or five spaces. And they went, oh, I said, no, I'd rather have, you know, five or six more treasurers in there. How about that? And they went, oh, yeah, get them in, please. You know, it's what we want to do is by doing that and and that's it you provide that audience that is brilliant and i'm just i mean i could talk to you for for hours mike um i think the other thing i wanted to ask you about is there anything else in terms of marketing that you guys are doing that's that's working really well um i think the salary survey just runs really well i think treasure career corner it just we just love our treasurers and i think that's it working your niche you know work in your or niche as they call it and things like that 
just keep on giving back. I think that's one of the key things is, you know, and it sounds very altruistic. Yes, it's nice that we now, it, it pays for itself. But again, I'm going to be standing there giving back this value. We do the podcast every week. I just love talking to treasurers. It sounds really, yeah, I don't know. I just love doing it. Really. That's awesome. <laughs> I feel the same way about recruiters. So I I, uh, I can totally relate to that. Um, it's phenomenal. And I guess, I mean, there's so many other benefits apart from the the goodwill by adding value, building community, building those relationships. But then you're also creating a huge amount of content for your website, which is going to fuel your SEO means you you get uh, discovered by more people as well. So, and then of course you've got more content you can chop up and share via social media, LinkedIn. Um, so it's that, what people don't understand, like when people say, oh, I don't know what to post about or that kind of thing. What you've got is you have your podcast, which is like creating a consistent, um, flow of long form, high value content, right? And from that, you can turn that into video clips. You can turn that into, you know, LinkedIn posts. You can turn that into blog articles. You can turn that into so many different other assets that mean that you never have to worry about not having enough content because you almost have more content than you could possibly use. And, uh, and then that brings you more more customers. So the whole thing becomes like self-sustaining in a way. Do you, do you, do you see it like that? Or what's your way in terms of leveraging social media, Mike? Well, we, exactly that. We post the, you know, we, you're getting free content every single week, you know, someone else new story and, and then it appeals right the way across. So it'd be a European treasurer, someone wants to listen to, or it'll be someone, you know, on the West coast of the U S or it'll be someone in the UK or, you know, we're getting their stories and two different points actually I was going to make. The, the one thing about people have said about treasurers, they're going, who are treasurers? What are these guys? And they, people are going, I don't really understand treasury. Why have you got this finance recruiter on your on your uh, podcast? I, I was at the one of the international conferences recently and someone said, why is treasury so interesting? I said, look, we've got 10 treasurers within arm's length of me, right? And they were like, yeah. I said, each of them does a different job. What? I said, well, they're cash rich. They're debt laden. They want to do this. They're, you know, focusing on these countries. These guys are just, you know, centralized and they all work remotely. And it's a, each of those people, every one of them has a different story. They've all got the same title, but they've all got different stories to tell. And that's what we do with the podcast. And then we, we amplify their messages. We give them an outlet for something they haven't had before. And for some of the listeners, I've heard a couple of, you know, exactly as you said, you've encouraged some of your listeners to be podcasters and things. When we started and people going, oh, well, you know, I had a big following. No, we didn't. No, when we, you know, we had the numbers, we were getting 60 downloads on some of the episodes, maybe, you know, 30, 40 downloads. And it was like, and I was like, oh, you know, and I looked at some of the early numbers. And I thought, is this worth the investment? Is this now? It, it is, but before we do that, and if someone's saying to you and some of these guys just say, oh, I only got 10, 15, you know, and I've heard you mention this a bit, right, it, how much money would you pay to be in front of 10 people listening to you for an hour about your IT service, your recruitment, again, or about your clients? 10 people around a table, okay, and then it's 15, then it's 20. We now get four, 500 downloads per episode. 
and we were at 135,000 downloads. And it was like, wow, look at big numbers. For me, that's not what's special, is now it's given me these opportunities where I get invited to Vegas. I get invited to the national conference. But when I get, but it's not me, it's my, I get there, you know, we just got accepted actually last night, I forgot about this, we got accepted to speak at the Texas conference. And just our session got accepted last night. And I'm thinking, great, immediately shared it with my two guests. I've got two great global treasurers, one from Air Liquid, Tamara, and then I've got Fred from Technip. And we're gonna, I'm going to interview them about their careers. It's not me grandstanding, hey, I'm Treasury Recruiter, give me your jobs. It's actually me, you know, bringing these, my clients' stories to life. This is why you should be like Fred, be like Tamara. This is the, what the choices they made, sharing their stories. And by doing that, Again, it then positions you as the expert. Hey, Mike, I'm so glad you mentioned about the numbers because everyone has to start somewhere, right? And, you know, maybe your first episode, you get 10 or 20 or, you know, however many li people listening. But if you really think about it, that is, those are highly engaged prospects. Like, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a, a thousand cold prospects who don't know anything about you and don't care? Or would you rather have, 20 people who are really paying attention, they're intensely interested in what you do, and they're listening to a full hour of you interviewing someone, you know, that the, the, there's quantity obviously is, is one thing and, and quantity is important. But if you think of the quality of those people who are listening, especially the ones who listen every week, um, you don't need huge numbers of people. You need people who are really you know, uh, paying attention to what you're doing and are really intensely interested in what you offer and who feel like they almost know you, even if you've never met them before, that's way more valuable than if, uh, you know, 10,000 cold prospects, right? And it's, and it's your marketing engine. This is the great thing. And again, people said to me a while ago, why did I do it? And I, I said, I wanted some random person who didn't know anything about treasury to know what I did. And and, you know, the greatest example would be we've recruited for a global multinational company, petrochemicals industry, had to be careful about saying them, but we recruited a global treasurer. But the reason I got that, I got a phone call from a guy in the Midwest of the US, phoned me up late one night. Hi, is that Mr. Recruit, Mr. Treasury Recruitment? I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think in cleaning services. What are you? No, I'm the HR lead for this. Okay. I'd like to organize a meeting with our global HR leader, okay, to discuss treasury and maybe doing a big project for us. I was like, okay, we'll see, you know, what happens. Oh, how did you find me? Oh, I found you, I, I did a search and I found you do a podcast, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, just about treasurers, right? So you know all of them. Yeah, that's who I talked to. Because there, that led to a five-figure project, a um, six-figure project over the course of, which actually was great throughout COVID because we were still doing all the search work throughout COVID because they said, well, it's going to take you three to six months to find the people. I was like, yeah. And they'll be on three three months notice, probably six months. And they said, in a year's time, the world will have started to recover out of this. People will start to come back. And actually, they were transitioning this person to the Middle East. I'm like, okay. And they went, yeah, here we go. Here's the search agreement. I'm like, right, we're going to survive COVID then. It was just fantastic. Because, everyone. I love it, Mike. Listen, uh, as I said, we could talk all day and, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to do it again. But uh, this has been really fun. So many golden nuggets. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
amazing and, and keep up the I'll keep on listening to you in my earbuds as I keep swimming there you go alright Mike awesome have a great day thank you for listening to the Resilient Recruiter I know how busy recruiters are so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week I don't take your attention for granted that's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here real insights you can apply to improve your business and if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.